Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Hello again, and welcome to a special edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We're going in a bit of a different direction today, but it is a super important direction that we go in because we're going to be talking about mental health and specifically the challenges and the different things that teenagers go through with their mental health journey. And I think that that is such an important topic to be talking about um, as adults. I know every year that goes by, I forget more and more what it's like to be a teenager. And so it's super important that we, um, in, our, in my coaching world and in our coaching world, we remember and we think and we reflect about the challenges that uh, the teenagers that we primarily coach and teach are going through. So to help talk about this topic, I am super excited to be speaking to Christine Marie Fry, Christine XP, author, creator of the Brain XP Project, uh, probably so many other titles as well. Christine, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing really well, and I am super excited to be, be talking about this because, uh, you know, I, I know that it happens with me when I'm teaching or coaching. I get so kind of wrapped into whether it's my content or what I'm doing. I'm just so focused on that that sometimes I need to step back and remember, like, I am working with teenagers, and, and, <laughs> and every teenager I work with has their own mental health journey that they're going through, and they have their own experiences, and, and they're people that are growing and going through all sets of unique challenges, and I think it's super important for, for us to remember that and reflect on that and, and make sure that we're empathizing and understanding the situations that our, our teens are going through. So what I want to do first is I want to, to introduce you and have you kind of go through your mental health journey because you did ultimately write a book. So what was your journey um, and your mental health challenges that you went through that ultimately led to you realizing that you know this is something i'm passionate about and i want to write a book about yeah so it started back when i was about 11 years old so i was almost a teenager i was more of like a tween mm -hmm. and when i was 11 i started experiencing anxiety and that mainly came in the form of not being able to have control and kind of panicking with that so for example I would go on a sleepover, and I've been on sleepovers tons of times before, they're super fun. Um, but one time I went on a sleepover, and I couldn't get to sleep, I couldn't make it through the night, and I got this pit in my stomach, and I was kind of panicking, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I ended up calling my mom, and I went home at like midnight. And I figured, okay, whatever, I was just sick or something. But then that same thing happened three more times, going home at midnight. And so then we kind of decided, maybe it's not normal, maybe there's something going on. So my mom actually decided to put me into counseling, which I was not for. I was not excited about that. At that time, when I was in sixth grade, I just didn't view counseling as something that was an okay kid thing to do. Right. I thought I was like messed up or something. My whole viewpoint has changed completely on that. But at the time, I didn't want to go, but she kind of made me go anyway. 
And I worked there for about seven months, just going to counseling one time a week and just talking to someone. And that's where I learned what anxiety is and that's what I was facing. And the reason why I worked there for seven months was because I started at the beginning of sixth grade and it was going all the way up until sixth grade camp. And at my school, sixth grade camp was mandatory. So I had no option, I had to go. And it's basically a big sleepover, like five in a row. And so I'm sure you guys um, know about sixth grade camp, but it's like, you're not at home, you're about two hours away, you're not with your parents, it's your teacher and your classmates. And I was so nervous for that, but I worked at the counseling center and I worked all the way up to sixth grade camp. And then I went on the camping trip and it was so much fun. I had the best yeah. time ever. I had no issues. It was perfectly fine. So because that went so well, I stopped going to counseling and I figured that my whole issue was fixed. Mm. But then I kind of realized that that's not the way it works. Sometimes you have to kind of keep facing your challenges to figure it all out. So because of that, I stopped going to counseling. And when I got into the summer after sixth grade, I was pretty happy. I was really excited that I had got through that camping trip. So when I hit the summer after sixth grade, I actually broke my ankle for the second time. And when I broke my ankle that time, I actually had to leave my soccer team. So I was on a competitive club soccer team. I've been on that same team since fourth grade. So I was going into seventh grade, so a couple of years. So I grew really, really close to my teammates and my coaches and everything. And at that time, when I broke the ankle for the second time, we were actually in the process of getting a new coach and a new team kind of, we were merging clubs. So we had a new team and a new set of girls on the team. And so with all of those changes happening and then I broke my ankle, I kind of just didn't feel like I was welcome on the team anymore. It just seemed like, it just seemed like it was too coincidental that all of a sudden I break my ankle and I'm not feeling welcome on the team. Maybe it's time to leave. Yeah. So that is what I did. I left the team, but because I left the team, I lost a lot of friends and I, a lot of those friends I went to school with also. So it wasn't a great combination. And that's when I got into seventh grade after that summer. And because of that friend loss, I went into seventh grade really sad. I was really isolated and I didn't know what was happening with me. I just knew that something didn't feel right. And so I kind of worked through seventh grade, um, just kind of trying to get back in the motions and just do things like I normally would. I was a really good student, so I kind of hid in my work rather than trying to socialize. And because of that, <laughs> I really withdrew from everything and I stopped being the person that I was. I like never talked to anyone unless they spoke to me. I didn't raise my hand in class anymore. I just, I don't know, I felt like I was a different person. I was in the same body, but I was like a different person. Yeah. And at that point, it was probably about two or three months into seventh grade. And so I was 12 years old when my teacher actually was the one that noticed this was not normal something was definitely going on and the thing was was that this was primarily an issue at school i didn't have many problems at home so when my teacher noticed this he tried to talk to me and when he tried to talk to me i kind of just kind of hid and i pretended like everything was fine and everything wasn't fine but i didn't know how to explain what was happening right. so he kind of tried to just show the cared and checked in with me every once in a while, but eventually got to a point where I was crying every single day at school. I didn't know why, and I was just not, I just wasn't feeling it at all. <laughs> and so when he finally realized that this was at a point that he couldn't do anything to really help me um, get through these issues, 
he actually called my mom and let her know what was going on. And from there, that's when I started getting the help that I needed. She put me back into counseling. Um, and it was actually an interesting kind of story with that because when I went back into counseling, um, I actually was at a regular counseling center and the counselor referred me to a psychosis prevention program because what I had been experiencing was not just depression, but it was also psychosis. So hallucinations and different things like that, the coma psychosis. So because of that, um, because of my teacher telling my mom about what was happening, I was able to start getting the help that I needed. And from that point forward, um, once I was in a better mental state, because I had been working on different therapies and prescribed meds, because of that, I was able to find my passion for mental health. And that's when I wanted to start advocating for it rather than just experiencing it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it all began. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one, of, one of the things that, that you mentioned, which, which I do think is, is, is really great, is that you did have a teacher who kind of recognized that, right? Like who kind of was aware and kind of knew that something just didn't seem right and they were kind of able to to kind of advocate on your behalf because because like you said it made it you made it seem and correct me if i'm wrong that maybe at home they weren't as aware like your your, your mom wasn't aware but the teacher kind of knew and was able to kind of bridge that gap absolutely yeah because my issues were primarily at school because that's where i was trying to be social and it wasn't working but at home i didn't have that experience because i didn't have people at my house and all that that type mm -hmm. of stuff yeah no, that makes a lot of sense. If you if there are people who are dealing with things like socially or with their peer groups or, you know, whether it's like they feel isolated or they're going through issues, those issues might not necessarily present themselves at home. And so that they might be more present at school or, you know, for coaching, you know, on our court or field or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that like one set of group may not notice it and the other might and to make sure that they advocate for it. So. You're, you're going through your journey or you're going through counseling or you're, you said you were taking medication and things like that, but then you said you wanted to become more of an advocate and you wanted to be more of an advocate for it. So what was the process to, I want to be an advocate for it to, I'm going to write a book about this because that, that is quite, quite the leap. So what, what, what was that journey like? It was... It was basically where I was from 11 years old until I was 15 years old. Even though I was struggling, I was able to do research and I would research all the time uh, for like different books or different series of articles or I was a big reader at that time. So I was mainly looking for a book, um, but just any type of content that was coming from a young person. So whether it be a teenager, a tween, or just someone who was young like I was or similar in age to me, right. I kept researching and looking for these different materials that I could just relate to someone my own age and I couldn't find them. And so when I couldn't find that book or, or those articles or a series of blogs or whatever it was, when I couldn't find them, that's when I decided to write the book. So, yeah. So, though it may seem obvious, what, what, was, what was the importance, or I guess maybe a better question is, what was missing if you were to read something that was written by an adult versus somebody who was a teenager? What did you find was missing or wasn't there that you needed um, when you were going through this? I think it's that, and I always say this when I present about Brain XP, is that teens relate to teens more than to adults 
almost always. Mm. So it's kind of like that feeling of, I wanted someone to relate to, to listen to that I would actually believe. Not that I wouldn't believe my parents or my teachers or anything, but when I have that connection with someone like my own peer, even if I don't know them, but they're similar in age, it seems like a peer, that makes a really big difference because I actually, I remember I listened to my friends more than I listened to my parents at that time. And mm -hmm. so that was a big impact to have someone who was closer in age to me. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, especially teenagers, you know, it, it sounds like it, it means more kind of coming from, from a friend or a peer and like if it's an adult saying it like, oh, you know, you're an adult, whatever, like, what do you, you know, like you don't relate to me kind of on that level uh, uh, as, you know, a teenager would relate to maybe hearing it from, from a peer or somebody that they know, right? So when you were writing this book, and I guess I'm getting into kind of the the, the content of it, and because I want to want to plug your book here, what <laughs> what are what what is in this book? What were the things that you wanted to make sure that you put in it? Was it was it stories of yours? Was it just kind of like advice? What what is sort of the information that or the content that you put in uh, when you wrote Brain XP? So the book is actually an autobiography. So it's I wrote it when I was 16. So from birth to 16 years old, I wrote down all of the stories that I felt were kind of relevant for the book. So a lot of them had to do with mental health, but a lot of them had to do with just the process of growing up and living life. So I had good stories in there. I had bad stories in there. I had ugly stories in there. I had the mental health challenges, the bullying. I put everything into the book that I felt was necessary to tell my story at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's 10 chapters worth of me just telling my story. Mm -hmm. After those 10 chapters, um, included in the back of the book is a chapter that my mom wrote from a parent's perspective. And then after her chapter, my best friend Rachel wrote a couple of pages also mm -hmm. from her perspective, and then my grandparents did the same. So that way I got everyone who wanted to know about their perspective, who wanted to read this book, they'd have something for them. So it's not just a teenager um, could read it, it's like parents could read it, um, loved ones could read it, people right. who are struggling, people who aren't struggling, they just want to help. So everyone has a piece in the book. Great. And, and was it was it eye-opening to, to, to your mom or to, or to your family to read it? Was it, was it tough on them to kind of like read your recounting and recalling of, of some of your experiences or are they like pretty open and pretty receptive to it? Yeah, it was, it was a mixture of both because yeah. I remember when I was writing the book, I was 15 when I started the manuscript and I would cry every single time I would hit a part in the book that I was just like, ah, I don't know if I want to write this, right. but it was really, really therapeutic for me. So even though it was kind of hard to do, it was very therapeutic. And it was actually at a mental health conference that I went to. Um, it was a big California mental health conference. And I went there to just kind of listen in on different people who were talking about mental health, different speakers and workshops. And that was in Newport Beach, California. When I went there, I met a woman named Benny Malone. And she actually is, she wrote her own book from having dealt with her own challenges. Okay. And she also is a book editor. So when I met her at this conference, I was just talking to her and she's actually from Texas, but she was at this conference. And I met her and I was talking to her and I was telling her about my story. And she was just like, you have to continue writing this book. You can't stop. And so when she did that, I decided to keep writing it and keep writing it. So my parents were involved with this whole process. Yeah. Um, and so when I actually got to the part where I'd written the book or the manuscript, I then shared it with my mom and with Benny. 
and Benny actually ended up becoming the book editor for my book. So when we went through that process, my mom was able to read it and read through the edits and all the manuscripts. So she knew exactly what was in the book. Um, my dad actually didn't read it until after the book was a book. So it was not just a manuscript, but it was fully in a book form with the, with the cover and everything. I think what was really interesting was that my mom, my mom feels everything that I feel. So when she read the book, she was like crying and she was, but she was really proud. Like she was right. like, this is what we went through and now we're on the other side. And I think my dad felt the same way. I actually um, don't know exactly how they felt when they first read the book. Mm -hmm. I didn't read the book until eight months after it was published because I didn't want to relive the experiences. Like I already relived them once when I was writing the book. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to relive them again. Yeah. So I actually didn't read the book until about December of 2018. And the book came out in April, 2018. Mm -hmm. So when I read the book, it was, it was interesting because I was reading back on everything that had happened. Yeah. And I was kind of overwhelmed, but at the same time, I was so happy that I actually documented it because I know that it's going to be something that so many teenagers can relate to and it was overwhelming yes but it was a really really good thing I think <laughs> well yeah and I think that there's something to be said too just about how therapeutic just writing can be and just kind of writing about your experiences and whether you're gonna you know write a book or not but but even just journaling journaling or just you know putting your emotions and thoughts on paper I think could just be super beneficial to kind of get them out there in some place yeah, definitely. And so uh, you, you write the book, but, but that, that isn't the end for, for you. You didn't just write the book and you're done because, as I said in the beginning, this is the Brain XP P project. So, so what, what, is, what have been your next steps and, and what is it you're currently doing? I know with COVID and everything, it's a little, a little <laughs> different maybe, but where, where did you take it after that to kind of make it um, just more than just the book? Yeah, so basically what I did was I wrote the book and it came out in April, April of 2018. I didn't do too much with it for a little while after that. I was still doing some social media stuff for Brain XP. I hadn't really made it into a full project yet. Mm -hmm. The reason why was because I was kind of trying to do high school and Brain XP and kind of yeah. get through my own challenges as well. Yep. So at that time I was doing kind of what I could. When I graduated high school, that was in March of 2019, kind of a weird month. I was, I graduated a little bit early. So in March of 2019, that's when I started up the whole Brain XP community and the whole Brain XP project. So that's when I started doing, or basically dedicating all of my time to working on Brain XP full time. So I basically just started doing all the social media. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and just consistently posting on there so that the messages that I want to send about mental health and for other teens are right there where they have them at their fingertips, where they're actually looking at things on social media. And with that, I also began speaking about Brain XP. So I would actually go out and I would hold presentations or I would join in on other people's presentations basically like a motivational speaking type of thing, but I would speak about the concept of Brain XP and what we offer. So I became a speaker and that was really interesting because I was so scared to speak in public, but I actually, it was interesting just to see that push because my mom was like, you can do it, you can do it. 
and now I speak for like hundreds of people and sometimes even more than that, but, or sometimes even way less than that. And every single stage is comfortable for me now. So that was really, really cool. So that's what I do now is I speak and obviously with the COVID-19, I'm not able to do that as much, yeah. but I'm doing virtual presentations still. So it's interesting like that too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's great that, that you decided that, you know, you, you still wanted to do more and that there's still more of a need and then to get, get the message out and make sure that, that you're speaking <laughs> about your experiences and your story, story to others, because your journey, um, you know, uh, unfortunately it is, it is common, you know, a lot, a lot of teenagers are going through, and I mean, we all go through different, different sorts of men uh, mental health challenges and things that we go through. And so, um, it's something that I think all of us can relate to and, and, and it's helpful to have somebody who's, who can speak like, like you to put some words to it and people like, oh, like, that's kind of what I'm going through. Like, okay, like, yeah, like, we're, I'm not alone in this. And I feel like that's kind of common where a lot of um, teenagers might feel that they're alone and that nobody quite understands what they're going through. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that sometimes I always say this to other teenagers is that you might feel alone, but if you know you're not alone, that's kind of the first step to feeling like you are supported. Mm -hmm. So right. just taking in what you know and then applying it to your emotions, not as easy as it sounds, yeah. but that's kind of what I say. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it's all a process. You know, there's a process to it. So no, yeah, I think that's great advice though. So let's, we're going to, we're going to shift to the, uh, the, the adult side here now. So we're going to be talking to, uh, to the coaches here and, and the adults here. I, I think that all of us who who are coaching and teaching, they 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 want what's best for for the kids that we teach and the kids that we coach. But there are times, like I said in the beginning, where we get so wrapped up in whether it's in my case, like coaching my sport or teaching my subject, that there are things that that we miss or there are things that we don't recognize that um in a, in my case, you know, my my players or students might be going through. What are some good indicators and i know all of them are going to be different but what are some indicators for us as adults and as coaches that the players that we're coaching might be struggling or might be going through something i think at least from my personal experience my coaches and my teachers knew my personality they knew me pretty well and that's a really really good thing because if you're a coach or a teacher and you know your students or your players well you're going to notice if there's a personality change. And for me, that came in the form of I all of a sudden became very quiet. Mm -hmm. And it's not that quiet is bad or that it's um, a trigger or an indicator at all. For certain people, it might be. I just always think that when you see someone who's very, very outgoing, very um, talkative and wants to be involved with everything, and all of a sudden they're really quiet, that might mean something is going on. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're depressed or anything like that, but it might and it's worth yeah. looking into um so i would definitely say quiet or even taking the difference between being quiet and looking like they're down maybe not even sad but like they're just not in it they're going through the motions and they're not really participating the way they usually would i think those are some of the biggest indicators you'll find and obviously everyone is going to be different so mm -hmm. if you can tell that someone's personality is just not quite the same that might mean something is going on well, I, I think that kind of speaks to, um, you know, uh, uh, me as a coach to make sure that we have those relationships, you know, with, with the players that we coach or if you're teaching like with your students so that you recognize 
like kind of the, those patterns and recognize like what somebody's personality normally is like. And then if there's like this shift or if there's something different should be an indicator that like, okay, there, there, it may not be something, but it could be. And so we want to make sure that conversation is happening. So we want to, well, at least I want to, and I think I speak for a lot of coaches. We, we want to make sure that we are, if we have a concern that we're bringing it up in a way that isn't, really abrasive or isn't really confrontational we want to be supportive but at the same time also address our concern and try and make sure that if there is something wrong that that, that we're we are aware of it is is there a way that we as adults and, and coaches can have that conversation without seeming like we're like trying to pull something out of somebody yes um at least for me having those check-ins kind of like and by check-in i mean not necessarily trying to figure out every detail and what's happening with the person but just to check in just say hey how are you doing today everything going good and even if it's not going good just let them know that you're there because knowing that someone cares about you is a very very nice feeling to have even if you don't want to show that at least for me i remember my teacher that noticed what was happening with me he would just check in you know every time i would seem or maybe not every time, but times that I would seem like I was particularly struggling, he always kind of stopped by after lunch or whatever, or if we're going to another class, and just told me for just a quick second and say, hey, everything going okay and everything good? And, and eventually, because of those check-ins that he did with me every so often, I eventually became to a point where I could trust him. And when I felt like I could trust him, then I opened up more, and that's when I was able to get the help that I needed. So because he didn't have to pull it out of me, he just had to check in a little bit until I was ready to open up. And that was very important because if he tried to pull it out, I might have never opened up. And everybody is going to be different with that, where like how those check-ins for, for some students, it may, you may have to be doing it repeatedly a, a lot, and, and some it may take a few. There's, there's no like, just check in this many times and <laughs> you'll get what you want. Like the, it's going to be, it's going to depend on the person when they when they feel comfortable, right? When they feel comfortable having exactly. that conversation, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I wanted to bring back uh, something that you mentioned earlier about, about, the, about the, soccer, the soccer part and how you mentioned that you didn't feel welcome, that there was a point that hit where you didn't feel welcome. And I know for me as a coach and a lot of the coaches I speak with, it's very important to us that we make sure that like everybody – feels welcome and that everybody like feels that they're a part of something um was there were, were there specific things that that happened that made you feel not welcome or is it just sort of a general feeling that you got that like you just didn't feel like you belonged it was a little bit of both mm -hmm. um it kind of goes back to like i said i was on that team for since fourth grade or third or fourth grade so i actually had that coach that i had in the beginning when i was in fourth grade i had him for a couple of years and at this time when i broke my ankle the second time we were in the process of getting the new coach and the new team and our yeah, clubs right. were merging so i had grown very close to the coach i already had and like i said that was the second time i broke my ankle the first time i broke my ankle i had that first coach that i was close with so he actually went out of his way and he made sure that I was comfortable. And even though I couldn't practice with the team, I came to every practice and I was there just to watch the team and to be able to understand yeah. what they were learning. He really made me feel welcome. He said, you know what, we're going to set up the cones together and then we're going to go through this drill. Even though you can't kick the ball, we're going to walk through the cones and know what we're doing. And then you can watch the scrimmage. And 
he kept me very, very involved. The second time around when we had the new coach, it wasn't like that at all. Um, I was basically the, the person who was just told, okay, set up the cones and then come to the sideline. And I was basically almost like, I was just setting up the cones for everybody else and I wasn't actually learning anything or doing anything. And I felt like, why am I going to all these practices for me to just be like the assistant? Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that feeling, when I was finally kind of getting into that team structure with the new girls and having a full on team now, and it wasn't just tryouts, it was the actual practices. Mm -hmm. Because of the way that that had happened with that coach, I wasn't comfortable to begin with, but then because we also had new girls on the team, I felt like I was just not quite there because I wasn't practicing with them and I wasn't getting to know them very much because I was on the sideline. Mm -hmm. So I felt like the girls didn't understand me, the coaches didn't understand me. And then at a point where I was finally ready to go back on the field after my ankle had healed, um, I was feeling the anxiety that I had felt in sixth grade with the, with the yeah. um, sleepovers. And because I was feeling that anxiety, I just was a little nervous to get back out on the field. And I remember one of the new coaches that I had, he actually kind of used a phrase that I wasn't happy with. Um, he noticed what was happening and he was just like, you know what? It's all in your head. And it wasn't that he was wrong or he was right. It was just the way that it was told to me. I didn't feel like he was understanding that I was just not comfortable and I wasn't feeling welcome and I'd like I didn't belong. Instead, it felt like it's all in your head you'll get over it, it's fine. Um, and that whole mentality really shifted my perspective on the team and on the coaches. And because I had hurt my ankle, I was already in a position where I couldn't play very much anyway. So that was kind of that whole scenario ended up me leaving, having me leave the team. And so it was uncomfortable, but it also felt like I just wasn't welcome. And yep. that whole feeling made it feel like I didn't belong there. Well, there's a couple big, big light bulbs that, that went off in my head when you said that. You know, I, when, I, when I talk to coaches and the ones who I've interviewed, one of the things that they talk about is these, these important moments that they have in, in their coaching career. And a lot of it comes back to things that kids maybe said in years past or a coach said in years past and the kids still remembered it and the players still remembered it. And it was always a reminder to me and it's always a reminder to the coaches that I talk to that the things that we say – even if we think it's offhand or it's just like off, off the top of our head, that might be something that, that our player remembers and they're going to remember that. And in your case, when, when your coach said it's all in your head, you still remember that now. And, and I bet that that coach probably doesn't even remember maybe that they've ever said it to you. And, and the, just the power of words and that everything that we say um, could potentially be the thing that sticks, sticks with somebody. And it seems like that was the case with you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And another thing that it made me think of too was that when you had that new coach, your your new coach they weren't aware of the the anxiety and those feelings that you that you had before. They weren't aware of, of that background, correct? Correct. And so that again makes me makes me think as as you know, I coach high schoolers by the time that some of my girls come to me at, you know, 14, 15 years old that I don't know that background really I, I can build a connection with them but i don't know what their mental health journey has been all the way up to me and so that it's really important to, to build that relationship and, and to make sure you get to know them so that you're not saying something that's like going to be the thing that's just going to completely you know demotivate them and make them not feel like they're welcome anymore right yeah 
So um, what I have happened, and I know other coaches have happened too, is, is we're aware of whether it's students or players who might be, you know, going to counseling or they might be going um, to different forms of therapy or, or taking medication for certain things. And we might be aware of it. And we want to help and we want to make sure that we're advocates for those players. But at the same time, we don't want to make those players feel like they're like treated much differently than everybody else if you get what i'm saying so yes how can we how would you recommend that we can sort of help and and be a recognizing what they're going through and recognizing that these things are, are things that they're struggling with but at the same time not make them feel that they're like any different than anyone else yeah i i know for me at least for me, I really, really didn't like being singled out or feeling like I was different. So the one thing that I would definitely say that comes to my mind immediately is to make sure that mental health um, and sportsmanship or just respect among the group of kids or whatever, that has to be an open topic. It can't just be something that's hidden because it's so relevant right now. And every single person, like you said earlier, has some sort of mental health challenge it might not be diagnosable but it, there's something going on mm -hmm. and it might not be extreme it could be very subtle but everyone has something that they're struggling with and if mental health is not an open topic or it's not discussed at all among the team at team meetings or whenever it needs to happen then it's going to be hidden and the kids that are struggling will end up most likely being bullied or they just won't feel like they're welcome and almost like how I didn't feel welcome. And it's just so important to keep that as an open discussion. So, and it can easily be put into the topic of sportsmanship and just making sure that we're all being team players and just mention, okay, and everyone's mental health is important too. It can easily be incorporated into different meeting topics, but it has to be an open discussion and it has to be there because if it's not, nobody knows about it. That, yeah, that, that's so true that it, it has to be something that's open and that it's not seen as like something that's like shameful. And you know, that unfortunately that stigma does still exist where like, whether it's, you know, a coach or a teacher kind of builds that environment where it's like, we don't talk about that. And you know, like that's your own thing versus like, we're, we're all, we're all in this together and, and that we can talk about these topics and they're valid and, and they're, they're meaningful and, you know, people's struggles deserve to be talked about if they feel comfortable talking about it. I, I think that that's, that's absolutely a hundred percent true. So if, so let's, let's say if we're going to go back and from like a player's perspective, like a, like a, you know, a teenage teenager's perspective, um, if they are feeling like there's something that they're going through uh, in, the, in their mental health challenge or in their mental health journey, and they don't really like know where to start or they don't really know like where to turn to, is there any sort of like steps and I know everybody's different but is is there something that could maybe like get a player like going if they feel like okay something's not right but I don't know what to do now I think the biggest thing is that we can't always anticipate what's going to happen with our mental health or with different things in life that come upon us but even if something happens if you've been training your mind to learn how to cope even from a very young age or whenever you're struggling, whenever it is, if you just learn how to cope, 
it makes all of the issues that are happening, they're still there, but it makes them manageable. So coping, I mean, coping skills are not the easiest thing to develop, but there are so many of them that once you find a coping skill that works for you, it's like, it's like a whole new world. It's like, yeah. okay, I have all these challenges, but now I can manage them. Now they're, I'm okay with having them and I can work through them. So I would definitely say coping skills are the number one thing to learn. So with that, what what was kind of your 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 process for like training your mind? I mean, that that sounds like a definitely it's a lifelong journey that we kind of go through <laughs> of training your mind. So was it in terms? Did you mean like in terms of training your mind of like coping skills? Was there something else that that you meant by that? I'm just curious about that about that phrase, training your mind. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, I think that. What it is for me when I train my mind is I develop something called the system of hope. And that's something that we teach in the Brain XP workshops and keynote speaking engagements. And I just, to go into it briefly, it's a four-step process. And it's kind of training your mind, which is what I just (laughs) said. But it's like a four-step process and it stands for hope. So you start with building your healthy mind. Then you openly share then you learn to positively cope, and then you become empowered. So healthy mind, open sharing, positive coping, empowerment. That is hope, and that is the four steps that you need to learn to help your mind become in a place where you take yourself from wherever you're at, struggling badly, struggling a little bit, whatever place you're in, to end up becoming your own advocate at the end and feeling like you have your self-empowerment and maybe even being able to advocate for others as well. So it's kind of like once you've learned the system of hope, and you are got that foundation, you're maintaining it, you're helping yourself and others, that's ideally what you can do to train your mind. And one of those things in the system of hope is positive coping. And that's where you learn to maintain everything that you're doing to help yourself. And so when I say positive coping, that's just a one part of training your mind, but it is a very important part. Um, and I do want to mention that we actually have a whole coping skills guide team toolbox on our website for Brain XP. And it's just so comprehensive. There's hundreds of coping skills. So if you want to try one out, you just pick one out, you try it. It doesn't work. That's okay. You can pick out a new one and just yeah. trial and error until you find what works for you. Well, that's, I think that's important that you mentioned it, that, that there's going to be ones that resonate or work for, for others. And there might be one that like, you know, this doesn't work for me, but oh, this one does. And that's fine too. And that, that's why there's a wide variety of them. Um, and not, not to think that like, oh, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to cope. Like that's, it's not, it doesn't seem like that's how that, that would work anyway. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So you, you talked about, uh, and I, and I really like this about like the hope and, and the positivity and, and, and building, you know, that, that positive framework. And I think that that's great. One of my things that I think I struggle with now, like every year is I can build and try and build whether it's in my classroom or whether it's you know coaching basketball like we can try to build this environment like of positivity and, and teamwork and togetherness and then my concern is like well once they get on social media like i i worry that it all just sort of like falls apart is is that was, was that something that you actually went through in, in your own journey i, I guess let's, let's go back to you personally how, how did social media you know everything on facebook snapchat instagram what, what effect did that have on your mental health journey because i didn't really i didn't grow up with those and, and it's unique to to you and, and teenagers now so what was your relationship with that and how did it affect your mental health social media is kind of like a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. so 
for me, when I was, I actually didn't really start social media until I was in seventh grade, which was a little bit after I learned the anxiety part and everything. So I wasn't really into it that much. I wasn't like someone that posted all the time or was always on Instagram or, and at that time I only had an Instagram and I just wasn't on it very much. When I started up the Brain XP project and everything, that's when I kind of really did some research and I was using social media more. And I realized that it can be a very stigmatic platform. It can be very, um, detrimental to somebody's mental health so when i saw some of the things that were being said online whether it was from everyday people that are just like doing the regular thing in school or to celebrities or social media influencers it's horrible some of the things that people say on social media but it's not like social media is going anywhere it's going to be here and it's going to be here for a while Mm -hmm. so that's why i took the brain xp project and i said we're going to have to do social media, but we're going to have to make it a positive platform because it's not going anywhere. We have to do something with it. That's where teens are at. That's where they have it at their fingertips. But if it's not positive, all it's doing is making it worse. Mm-hmm. So instead of bringing up all of the entertainment or the drama, I try to keep it solely focused on the positivity. And unfortunately, not all platforms are like that and not all accounts or influencers are like that. But if we just kind of start somewhere, we can get to the point where we're getting it to be more positive. So me personally, I haven't had too much of an issue with social media just because I'm not on it as much. Mm-hmm. But for the people that are on it, they need to have a positive outlet there that's not just the entertainment or the drama or the negativity. Uh, well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense that it's, it's kind of like the experience you're going to get with social media depends on like who you interact with and, and, and what you interact with. And so it's it's a tough discussion i think that 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 we um kind of need to have i know as we as coaches is about like what your relationship kind of is with like social media like what does it do for you like is it empowering you is it bringing something positive to you or is it something that's you know worst case to me is like making making you feel worse about yourself like that that's always my concern is like people see like oh what people post on snapchat or instagram and it's like oh they get jealous and it's like oh why isn't why isn't my you know life like that and i think yeah. with with what your presence is on social media it kind of gives them like here's an option of something that's like positive and like is going to like add value and i think like that's kind of what you said is like kind of your purpose in being out there in social media right absolutely yes and yeah. i think one of the hardest things about social media is the comparisons because yeah. when you see something on online it might be true it might not be true but when you start to compare yourself to that it really can lower your self-esteem and just shatter your confidence so it's really important not to get too caught up in that yeah well then i think as an additional kind of add-on to that something that that gets me thinking and reflecting on is like we uh, as coaches should make sure that we have like a social media platform that that's positive and, and empowering and kind of giving great news and positive things so that people can follow it. And, you know, our own players can follow it. It kind of has like another like positive kind of message that they're going to see on social media. I, th- I think what you're, you're getting at is really important that we need to kind of advocate to bringing more positive and more like good things to social media to, to add for, for people to, to follow and interact with. Absolutely. Yes. So, in in the we use the word journey to describe mental health because it is a journey. It certainly is not a not a quick sprint. And and I know that that you had and, and are have and are still going through through your mental health journey. It's a long one. And 
I know for kids who either I've taught and a couple who I've coached that one of the overwhelming things for them is just how long that journey is and that it's not always just going up, up, up. You know, there's, there's bumps on the road and then there's, there's things that happen that are going to make things difficult and then more setbacks and more challenges and it's a journey. So how, how have you, in the, whether it's in your talks or your things that you have in your book, how, how do we kind of keep kids going and keep them understanding that they're on the right track, even if there are a bunch of, you know, possible setbacks and, and bumps along the way? I think there's two things, and one of them we already talked about, which is the whole coping mechanisms and finding out how you can manage it. The other thing is to build your support structure. So that can either start with just being a part of the Brain XP community, that can start of being just whatever community that you're in or faith-based or whatever works for you. Um, the one thing I will say is that when you're building your support structure, and I've done this so many times, sometimes we feel like I need to have some friends, even if they're not good for my life, I need to have friends because I just don't have anything else. And that can be a bad influence on you. And so many times I've just made friends and brought them in into my life and they haven't been good influences on me, but because I had nothing else, I felt like, oh, I have to keep them. That's not the case. It's better to have like a good, steady, supportive support structure with just a couple of friends than it is to have a ton of friends who aren't really there for you. So building the support structure actually takes a lot of thinking and not overthinking, but just thinking about, okay, am I really being supported by these people? Or am I really actually feeling loved by these people like they actually care about me? Or am I just kind of there and it doesn't really make a difference if I have them in my life or not? Yeah. So building the support structure is good, but building a very real supportive support structure yeah. is really important too. Well, then that speaks to to me as a coach and, and, and other coaches that we have that opportunity within our own team to create you know positive friendships and create like people who are going to support each other because you know if, if we're building a good team they're going to support each other you know on the field if it's soccer on the court if it's basketball and then hopefully like those could lead to off court with like positive relationships about people who support you and it's really true about like who you surround yourself with is really going to have an effect on your on your mental state and like how you're going through every day so absolutely is it it's a little difficult, and I'm, I'm sure you encounter this sometimes with people who you talk to who sometimes feel like they like can't get away from like bad friends or they can't like sever that like relationship with friends who aren't like being super helpful for them. Is, is there a way that teenagers and, and as well as adults can kind of help to I'd help them identify bad friendships and, and try to steer them away from those and make a break from those i don't know if you've had experience of that where you've had to break off like bad friendships has that also been something that you've been through yes it yeah. has been and i think at least for me anyone can do anything they want to try to help me but i'm not necessarily the, necessarily the easiest person to change their mind mm -hmm. so when i have my mom saying you know i don't think this friendship is working out or trying to give me real reasons why i'm not necessarily going to believe it but what's um, really, really important is that it's that gut feeling. When I was hanging out with the people that were not maybe good influences on my life, I had a gut feeling that there was something wrong. And it's yeah. making sure that you act on the gut feeling, on your instincts, even though 
sometimes they might be wrong. A lot of the times they're right. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say that if you have a bad feeling about something, don't pursue it even further. Just kind of cut it off there. Um, not to be like rude to the other people because it could be just personal things that they're going through as well. But it's important to do what you need to do for yourself as well. So if you have that gut feeling, if you have an instinct that something's not right, yeah. I would just trust yourself. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Trust yourself. Like you trust your gut. Like there's a reason why your gut is telling you like this might not be a good situation for you. So it's it's maybe hard i think you know for me i remember as a teenager it was hard for me to like listen to my gut or even know what my gut was telling me but like i feel like you you kind of get you have to build that and maybe take a second to kind of get away from like everything and just kind of be in maybe like a more quiet like reflective place to really just listen to yourself and like kind of process those thoughts and i think that that might be a huge help to kind of know what your gut is even telling you yeah so to um, wrap up, you, I know you mentioned your, your teacher, uh, and so feel free if you would like to, to mention them again, but I wanted to make sure that coaches knew that, that we are, as adults, we're doing good things and that we are, you know, doing a lot of positive things and are leaving positive impacts on a lot of the um, kids and teenagers that, that we serve. So what, was there um, another moment or a specific moment that you can think of where an adult really was a positive impact and a positive help on your mental health journey? I think, I mean, I've had a lot of different people yeah, in my life that absolutely. have been very good influences on me. I would always say though, when I go back to thinking about when I was struggling at the hardest times in my life, that teacher that I mentioned before, mm -hmm was kind of like the rock I had at school because I could have my parents at home, but at school your parents aren't there. And so in the place where I felt the most vulnerable, I actually started to feel like I was safe because I had someone I could go to. That feeling is unbeatable. Like you have, when you feel safe, when you feel like everything's gonna be okay, that's when you feel less alone, you feel your worth again, and it's very important. So I would just say that um, having that stable person there that you can count on is very important and i was very fortunate to have that person not everyone is as fortunate as i am or as i was so but making sure that you're kind of trusting the right people and that's kind of just the way it goes sometimes you can trust people sometimes you can't and it's very hard to trust people especially when you're in a unhealthy mental state yeah. but that moment when i was kind of just approached i remember the one day when i was approached by my teacher and I was crying and he said, what's, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. And he was understanding of that. He yeah. didn't say, we need to figure this out right now. He said, okay, well, what are you feeling? <laughs> you yeah. know, since I didn't know what was causing it. And having those different questions asked to me and not being accused of having to feel some way, that was very, very helpful. Um, and actually, kind of a coincidence, but he's actually a football coach as well at that time. So he had both experiences as a teacher and a coach. And I think that might have kind of shaped who he was to be able to help me. And it was it was a lot of help. So I would definitely say that he was a very, very big factor in me finding my path. And, and I, I really like that you mentioned like the, the part about where you feel safe. And I, I think that's really so important, whether, you know, it's coaching or teaching that for any of these conversations to happen and for any of us to really leave that sort of positive impact that 
students, players, they have to feel safe first. They have to feel safe. They have to feel comfortable. Otherwise, they're probably going to be holding things in and they're not going to feel comfortable expressing, you know, their, their concerns or their thoughts. So it seems to me like you got to have that safe environment built yeah. first as an adult, as a teacher, as a coach. Great. Well, I always like to end, whether I'm talking to coaches or anybody, kind of like with what I call like a 60-second soapbox to kind of get out like a final thought or a final idea or like a closing message of sorts. Um, so I'm going to give the floor to you. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead with your 60-second your soapbox to get, get your message. Okay. <laughs> so I would just say kind of what my last message would be is that trust is very hard to build, but when you've built the trust and you've built the relationships, that is when you thrive. So that support structure we talked about, as well as just kind of being able to find the people who are really going to be there for you, that's your number one key. But also going back to the coping strategies, and like I said on our on our Brain XP website, we've got all those coping strategies for you. That's really the place to start because you might not have all the people you need at the time, but if you know how to handle and how to manage yourself, that's the number one thing. So definitely check out Coping skills, it doesn't have to be on our website, but we do have a huge collection of all them. Um, and just remember that part of Brain XP is that we think about ourselves as having expanded brains. That's where Brain XP comes from, is brain expanded. So never feel like you're crazy or you're mentally ill or you're sick or you're psycho. Those things, yes, people use them in negative ways and they use those words all the time. But if you just think about it, your brain is expanded. You think in ways that others don't, and that is a positive way of looking at mental illness. So if you're struggling, that is okay. You have an expanded brain. You're going to make it through this yeah. stuff, and the Brain XP community is here for you. I'm here for you, and that is ultimately what you need to be able to keep going. Love it, and then I want to I want to have you add on to that about ways that people can either connect with you, find you on social media. I want to make sure that all of that gets out. So so go ahead with with that as well. Awesome, yeah. So our website is brainxp.org, and on the website we have tons of content. We have blogs, we have videos, we have podcast episodes, we have free guides. We, we have a lot of different stuff along with our teen toolbox for coping skills. And we also offer music. Um, a lot of the music is mine right now, but I've been working with different teens in our community to be able to put out their music on our platforms as well, to be able to share their story. Um, we have Instagram. It's Brain XP Project on Instagram, and we're posting on there. It's been a little bit harder with the COVID-19 stuff happening. I'm trying to get back into it, but... <laughs> yeah. um, Definitely check us out on the social media and really just remember that our resources are here for you. And if they're not what you need at the time or you're not ready to use the resources, that's okay too. So just know that we're always here for when you can use them and when you feel like you really want to use them. So we have our content, our YouTube channel and everything. So it's not too hard to find. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the book either, right? <laughs> oh, yes, in the book, yeah, Brain XP, Living with Mental Illness, A Young Teenager's Perspective, that's on our store, on our website, or on Amazon. Great, just so, so many ways to get connected. And, and as we mentioned earlier, like it's just another positive, you know, and, and especially in the social media world, just something else positive and, and a resource, which, which we can never have enough of, enough positive resources to kind of help us through our mental health journeys and help our players. Um, well, thank you so much. This, this was really informative and, and it's, it was so great to kind of hear your insight and hear your journey. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. So, so thank you for sharing some time and it was a pleasure. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was awesome. <laughs> well, uh, 
Thanks again to Christine Marie Fry, Christine XP of the Brain XP Project. Uh, I'm Mike Hernandez. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Uh, we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.